pretty funny. Uh, my nephew coming up with some really good stuff. I'm really grateful for this church. You're a long way from where I live, but it's, I always feel at home when I'm able to come up and be with you. I, I would tell you that people around the world who attend churches, particularly church leaders, are, would come here for a clinic to be able to see how people just uh, lock arms on the opportunities that are, uh, that are available. And, and you take great joy in, in leading and in working together and moving the kingdom forward. There's a lot of things that go on with regard to how we operate as, as people within the kingdom. And one of the things that I, I shared yesterday that I, I continue to share that I, I, I communicate with my students at Evangel, and it is this. The gospel is really simple. Jesus made it so absolutely simple that you couldn't miss it because he only gave one invitation. He said, just follow me. And, and once you start following, then he begins to give you practical instructions on how to, to operate within the plan so that there is peace in your operation. The, the times when, when difficulties happen, it's very easy for us to look at the challenges that we face and wonder, what am I doing wrong? And we start to move in a corrective mode. When in fact, oftentimes when we face those challenges, it's not a matter of what we've done. It's just a matter of God is using those to help sculpt and shape our faith and our trust in him. And so today I, I wanted to take a little time and focus energy on uh, a, a Bible story. We were raised, our, uh, my uh, brothers and I were raised on this, this whole idea of, of the heroics of, of the Bible, that there are people there. And, and here's the fun thing. So Michael mentioned my love for Marvel movies. Um, and and I, I, I want to quote Jerry Seinfeld, though he's no theologian, he does speak truth. <laughs> and, and Seinfeld said this, he said, you know, for, for females, and please, if this, if this affects you, when I start going this direction, ladies, if this offends you, I'm sure that you'll get over it. <laughs> but but with, with superheroes, that just doesn't make any sense because you can see through the fact that it's all make-believe. But for men, the strength of superheroes, now those are real options. And that's what Seinfeld said. I said, man, I totally buy into that. So every time I watch, uh, you know, Steve Rogers, a little scrawny guy, get into the tube, and I tell my students who are going into medical science and into medical research, I'm like, if you create that serum, here's my number. You call me, because I'll be the first test pilot in that tube, because I want what that guy got right? That's a real option. But you see, God never used, and this may come as a shock, God never used anyone from Krypton, Asgard, or Vulcan. You will not find that in the pages of the scriptures, that he used anyone from another planet. He only used humans. And what's fun about looking at the Bible is that every single person that was immortalized in scriptures did one of two things. When God called them into action, they either stepped forward and obeyed or they stepped back into their selfishness and thereby gave the, the legacy of their lives. 
And so today, I just wanted to share with you some, some truth from the life of Joseph and how he aligned himself, and, and we can look at some principles. And I just want to share with you some principles that I truly believe are applicable to all of our lives. Now, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I'm not a preacher. I'm just not. I'm not, that, uh, I'm not wired like that. I am a teacher. I've been doing this for 34 years. It is truly the only job I've ever held down for more than six months. And so I I've, I've, think I've just about figured it out now. And so every day, and, and my oldest son, John Thomas, is with me, and he would tell you that, that when students that I've had hang out with him and they ask him, so what's it like? He's like, is, there's always a lesson. There's always something to be taught. Uh, and there are moments when he has to say, okay, Dad, knock it off, just the facts, right? <laughs> but I want to share with you this great story of one of my favorite people, Joseph, because there's a lot that we can learn from Joseph that is super helpful for all of us. Now, the first thing I want to show you is this. I shared this a little bit yesterday, but it's important to recognize at the very heart of leadership that if you really want to, at the sunset of your life, look back and say, I mean, I, I, I did my very best. Leadership isn't about being driven to climb up to the top of the heap. Because oftentimes you climb over people when you're headed that way. But leadership is about reach. It's about how you connect with other people. And, and when I'm teaching these concepts about leadership to, uh, to my students, one of the things I want them to understand is that you lead up, you lead down, you lead across. That there are people that I've had the privilege of being able to work alongside uh, that were either work studies or interns people that had limited experience compared to mine, but God used them in a moment of wisdom to give me insight. I've been able to do the same in, in many roles at the university in helping our presidents that I've been able to serve under, whether it was my father or his, his successor, Dr. Taylor, or her successor, Dr. Rakes. That there will be moments when you will speak up to someone and be able to help them. And there are those beside you. There are moments when someone will give you some, some wisdom or you'll be able to share with others. But it is a great moment when you realize the moment. When you realize the moment that, okay, this is a time when, when I can be helpful. And never worry about reception. Always deliver with diplomacy. Because when you do that, it will be well received. Because remember, people always remember how they were treated. Often more than what you said. So that being said, let's talk about this young man, Joseph. And I, I begin in, and I'll take you through a few passages between uh, Genesis 37 through Genesis 41. And so we'll, we'll hit some, some uh, kind of the best of album in this story. So the first thing I want you to see is a, a principle that, that comes to light. And it's this one. The first principle in the life of Joseph is this. And this is something you can apply to your own life that circumstances should not be given the power to derail you. Now, some of you may have been born and raised in a dysfunctional setting. I don't know. I don't know what your life is like. I know that, that many of you have come to this church and you've got stories. But I'm just going to tell you, Joseph uh, pretty much cornered the market on a dysfunctional family. One father, four mothers. I don't know if anybody caught that math on that. That's just not right. 
But in the culture of the time, the wealth of a family was, was met with how many children you had. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who has 12 children in this room. If you do, God bless you. But in this situation, you have, you have Jacob, the father, and you have his beloved wife, Rachel, her competitive sister that he got out of uh, a kind of a crooked deal, Leah, and he was not attracted to her. They both had servants that became surrogate mothers. And I'm, I'm, giving, I'm drawing a picture here, and they had, they had 12 boys, one girl, and they were all scattered among mothers. And you can just imagine what that dinner table must have been like as they all competed for the affection of one person, the father, Jacob. And it says in chapter 37, it said, these are the descendants, this, it begins with, these are the descendants of Jacob. And it moves into Joseph was 17 years old and he was assisting two of his stepbrothers out in the field with the sheep. And he caught them doing something they shouldn't have been doing, so he ratted them out. And it follows up with, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son because he was the son of his old age, which is kind of funny to me. Now, I know there'll be times when things I catch in the scriptures, and I'm like, that's really funny. I don't know if anybody else catches that. Which basically means that he was an old man, and he still had it. Okay, that's what he that's what he said. Hey, I still got it, baby, you know? And so... Here's Joseph, but somehow he made this connection with Joseph. And it might have been the fact that he was the first son born to Rachel who was barren. She couldn't have any kids. And finally, she's got this one, and here's Joseph. And so he has this special connection with Joseph. And it's so special that he presents him with this, this rather ornate coat. Now, it was not trendy. It was not a fashion statement. It was a statement. And it was a statement that sent a message to all of his other siblings that Joseph now got front cuts into leadership, that he had special attention that the others did not have. And that's just not the way things went. Now, remember, Joseph is a teenager. He's 17 years old. Now, I remember being 17. I'd like to forget a lot of that. But at 17... There's just one factor that's missing in a 17-year-old boy, and that's called EQ. He lacked a little bit of emotional intelligence, and in the moment, he has a dream. In this passage, Joseph has a dream, and instead of like sitting tight with his dad and said, hey, dad, listen, I've had this dream, and it really is a mystery to me, that would have been a demonstration of others' awareness. Instead, he leapfrogs dad, and he's sitting with his brothers, and he says, hey, guess what? I had a dream. I dreamed that we, us, were binding sheaves of wheat. We were gathering grain, and we bound them all up, and all of a sudden, all of yours bowed to mine. Hey, I, whew, I don't know what that means, but it's something, right? And his brothers immediately flew into jealousy. Do you mean... That we, I mean, they, they drew a line, right? Do you mean that we are going to bow to you? You're going to be king over us? And he's like, I don't know. I'm just saying. It's just a dream, right? <laughs> Sooner, soon after that, he has another one. And this time, it could have been around the dinner table because his parents were there. You know, so sitting around eating dinner. Hey, Pastor Beans. Hey, speaking of beans, I just had this dream. Crazy. 
the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bowed down to me. And of course, now his dad's in on it. He's like, what? We are going to bow down to you? It's like, I don't know. It's just maybe it was bad pizza, Iowa. Right? But here's the other thing about this point in the story is that at that moment, Jacob ponders, what could this mean? Why? Because years and years before, Jacob is alone in the desert, running for his life from an angry brother. And he's lying in the desert with a rock as a pillow, and God gives him a dream and gives him a message that the whole world, the whole world would be touched by his family. And so he's drawn a line. What is this all about? Well, the delivery of these two messages to his brothers didn't sit very well. And as the story goes in chapter 37, they're off pasturing their sheep. And his father, Jacob, tells Joseph, and this was a moment where the father should have had some degree of awareness of the atmosphere, but he didn't. He says, you know, Joseph, why don't you go check on your brothers? And so he rides off and he finds them. And in that moment, it's the tipping point. And his brothers say, now's our chance. And so they grab him, they strip him of his coat. And they're ready to take his life. And Reuben, the oldest, well, he decides, you know what, this is not good. And he says, let's not kill him. We'll just put him in an empty well. And they dropped him down in an empty cistern, and they went on to eat their lunch. And his idea was that, you know what, I'll circle back, I'll get the kid back home, and I'll, you know, we'll get things squared away. But somehow, while he was away, Ishmaelite traders come along, and they, they're looking for something. And his brothers say, why would we kill him? I mean, he, this is great. Why would we kill him? He is our own flesh and blood. I mean, they had some kind of a conscience, right? And they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. And as he's moving into the distance, and I'm sure they could hear him begging for mercy, they're thinking, we will never have to deal with the dreamer again. Yet what they did not realize that for the next many years without him, they all had to deal with a guilty, guilty conscience circumstances that were beyond Joseph's control. And I don't know what goes on in your world, but each one of us have had to deal with things that are like, wow, I didn't see that coming, and I didn't do anything to earn it. Or you may look at it, and maybe Joseph was looking at it and saying, you know, I probably should have kept my mouth shut. That might be, you know, or I might, should not have come out there to see those guys. But yet... He can't do anything about it now as he travels hundreds of miles from home and lands in the nation of Egypt. But you know, the best part about this story as it begins is something that's a thread that runs through his life is it says that God was with him. God was with him the whole time. He never left him. And that brings me to our second one. And the second principle is this. Obstacles that we face are actually the refining tools for helping us strengthen our grip on our lives. Because Joseph ends up in the home of Potiphar. So he's on the slave block, and anyone could purchase him. 
And the person who purchases him is Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the royal guard of the palace. I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes to show you something that's really important about that role. But he brings Joseph into his home. In the beginning of that passage in in, uh, chapter 39 of Genesis, it says the Lord was with Joseph and everything he touched he was successful at. Everything. And it and the more successful he became, the more responsibility he got. And I just want to give you a sidebar. When God is with you and you have his favor, he's not going to lighten your load. He's going to expand your capacity and show you just what he can do and what you bring. It's an amazing infusement. And so Joseph gains more and more responsibility, authority, to the point where The only thing Potiphar had to worry about was how he was going to get food onto his fork and into his mouth. And that's it. Everything he was responsible for. And he became a trusted confidant in the life of Potiphar. And and Potiphar was not just uh, an early enlisted man in, in the military. He had a decorated career. Someone uh, who is the captain of the royal uh, protection of the royal family brings to the table a lot of experience, an incredible amount of intelligence and wisdom. And Joseph is working right alongside him. Joseph is living literally, even though he is a slave, he's in the lap of luxury and learning some great things. And the Lord, the most important thing is the Lord is with him. Now, the chapter moves on. This is, this is the real fun part. This is where it becomes a really cool movie. Joseph was good looking. It says that he was handsome and of great form, okay? So for those of you who are former athletes, rise up, right? So he was one of these guys that just got the attention of people. They turned his head, their head. If there were pictures of him in Tiger Beat magazine, his picture would be in everybody's locker, right? So... The problem was that Potiphar had a wife who was a predator, and she was after Joseph. Joseph was faithful to everything. And here's the thing. When you know that God is with you, and you are faithful to what you're responsible to do, and the more responsibility you get, the more you dial into it and take it seriously, the less the things that can derail you and distract you have power over you. And so as, and I am certain that she was an attractive person, although we never know what her name is. But she kept baiting him and trying to flirt with him and trying to get him to compromise his faith and his relationship with her husband. And finally, there comes a a point there in, in chapter 39 where he says, look, Your husband has given me charge and responsibility over everything. He has given me this authority, and he's given me everything but you because you are his wife. Trying to get her to get reason in her mind. And he says, how can I do this great evil against God? And it doesn't take long before she sets him up for entrapment. And they're all alone. 
And when she reaches for him, he races out, and she comes away with his cloak. So she's got evidence that he was in her presence. And out of embarrassment of being turned away, she turns on him and frames him for something that he didn't do. When Potiphar comes home for work, she's standing there holding his cloak saying, you brought this Hebrew in here to embarrass me. What are you going to do about it? He tried to attack me. It says that Potiphar was angry. And he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where all the king's prisoners are kept. Now here's, here's the thing that I used to think, as I read that story, I used to think, man, Potiphar didn't believe Joseph. I don't think so. Remember, Potiphar's a man of discernment. He's a military leader. Anyone who's protecting the royal family can sniff out anything that's going on. I guarantee you that he knew his wife was a predator. Because Joseph wasn't the first and probably wouldn't be the last person that she's trying to stalk. I think his anger was based upon the fact that he had a trusted friend that he had worked with. And now he had to do something to protect his image as well as his position. Because if he really believed Joseph had done that, he would have strung him up and put him on a pole outside the house to let everybody know this is what happens when you mess with Potiphar's wife. Instead, he put him in a prison. And you know what's interesting is that even though Joseph, who had gone from this position of great authority in the home of the captain of the guard, and he's put into this prison now that he did not deserve, framed for something that he didn't do, but the very beginning of that story as he's put in is this passage. It says, now the Lord was with him and he found favor with the warden. And the warden turned over to him all of the responsibilities of the prison. And so even though this was an obstacle, Joseph continued to be faithful to what he was responsible to do. And whatever his hand found to do, he did it. And they put him in charge of that. Now, as he moves into this role in the prison, he becomes someone that is a confidant to people. And as he's working, it doesn't take long before political prisoners or there were individuals, as in the case of the chief baker and the chief cupbearer to the Pharaoh, were placed inside this prison. And they're in cells there. And what does he do? He's serving them meals or taking care of them. And one day he walks up to their cells and he notices they're both perplexed. He says, well, what's going on? And they said, well, we both had dreams. Now, this is fascinating to me. Remember, Joseph's story begins with a dream. We don't hear anything about him saying, hey, yeah, oh, that's crazy. I had a dream too, but please don't trust them. I mean, look at where I am today, right? But the cup, he says, well, listen, isn't God the one that interprets dreams? So let's, let's hear what you have to say. And the cupbearer says, well, I dreamed I was staring at this grapevine, and there were three, three branches, and they, they bloomed, and then they drew fruit. And then I just squeezed one of them, and I was able to fill it into the Pharaoh's cup, and I handed it off to him, and he drank it. And Joseph doesn't blink. He says, well, what it means is this, those three branches mean three days. And in three days, you'll be restored to your role as the cupbearer to, to the king. All right, that's good. He said, but now listen, here's what I need you to do. If you wouldn't mind doing me a solid here. I'm here not by my own means. I did nothing wrong but framed. If you would speak to the Pharaoh, I'd like to go home. 
And he says, hey, enough said. Well, the chief baker's like, well, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Mine kind of sounds like yours. So he says, well, here was my dream. So I dreamed I had three baskets of pastries on top of my head. And, and then all of a sudden, the birds came and pecked away at the bread on the top basket. And Joseph says, yeah, those three baskets actually do mean three days. But it also means that in three days that the Pharaoh will come and take you out of prison. And he'll impale you on a pole. And then the birds will peck away your flesh. You know, enjoy your breakfast, right? So he's... And, and sure enough, both of those things happen. But the end of the story is that the cupbearer goes back to his role and he forgets about Joseph. Totally forgets about him. And I can imagine Joseph when he's, all right, I've delivered it to the person. There is nobody closer to the Pharaoh than the cupbearer. Why? Because his job was to drink the booze to make sure that it wasn't poison. Not a lot of good insurance policies on a guy who's a cupbearer. But he was always close to the king and could hear things and could deliver wisdom to that person in moments. That's why if you read the story of Nehemiah, that was his job. Nevertheless, this cupbearer forgets, but Joseph doesn't know this is going on. So maybe he's packing his suitcases and he's telling everybody goodbye. Hey, I'm going to be leaving in a few days. And days go to weeks, weeks go to months, and eventually Joseph says, you know what? That guy forgot me. Now, at this moment, people get bitter. God forgot me. You know, that was supposed to happen. The deal didn't come through or somebody didn't follow up or people disappoint us. And people begin to blame God for something that happens instead of doing what Joseph did. And Joseph said, you know what? I got a job to do. Because in the moment when he's interpreting the dream, this is something to keep in mind. Joseph's faith empowered him in a faithful moment. Now, he was just doing his job, and then God opened up a door for him to, to be his conduit for a story that led to someone else being set free. That was a key moment. And he spends two more years in prison, but it was really critical that he had those two years because had the cupbearer remembered, what would have happened is that Joseph would have packed his bags and gone back home and would have completely altered what is about to happen. Because the next principle is this, that we have to keep in mind, is that we cannot rely on the clock for God's intervention. You know, we created clocks. I don't know if you guys knew that. Humans created that. It's not God's deal. We created, now I know, I've read Genesis, right? Seven days. But we're the ones that created clocks and calendars so we can make sure that we keep track of what we're supposed to be doing. But, and I'm, you probably are aware of this, that there, there are two different like Greek words for time. Chronos, you know, chronological, and kairos, the moment. And God works in the moment. Our responsibility when we're working in chronos is that we do what we need to do when we need to do it. That we do everything we can to make the most of what we have with the mindset that at any moment God could be moving. I shared this yesterday, that life is made up of two things. Number one, they're daily decisions that we make. Every day we make certain decisions of how we do things to get things done. We make decisions about how we're going to relate to people. I have a habit when I'm driving into work every day is, is asking myself, okay, who needs my A game today? There are moments when I can go into, to shift into just going through the motions, going into meetings, and, and I think, wait a minute, I, I've really got to 
I really need to dial in because there's some things that are happening right now, and there may be a moment where God wants to use me. If I've shifted into neutral, I'm going to miss that moment. There are times when, when, and and I, as as Michael introduced me, I I work for Evangel University. We're faith-based university. Christ is at the center of it, which gives me an incredible amount of freedom. And any time I meet with faculty or staff, I sense when the Lord is saying, hey, you need to pray at the end of this meeting. I've started making that a habit, praying over the people that, I'm, that I get to work with. And so oftentimes in life, because we are always in a hurry and because we must have immediate Wi-Fi and because uh, we, can, we can send information to the moon and back in a matter of nanoseconds and, and because we go through drive through restaurants and all those things, it helps us to eliminate, if you will, waste. But at the end of the day, what we have to look at is realize that, man, I want to be ready. I want to be there. I want to recognize the moment, the defining moment when I'm in the defining moment. And so for Joseph, he spends two more years doing his job, being faithful. And the time comes, as you see in in Genesis chapter 40, and the Pharaoh has a dream. And it's some crazy dreams. I don't know what those people were eating. But the first dream is about seven healthy cows. They're just sitting there grazing. And all of a sudden, seven emaciated cows come and eat them, which is really gross, okay? But seven emaciated cows eat those healthy ones, and, and he wakes up. Like, well, that was weird. He goes back to sleep, and he dreams of seven healthy heads of grain or corn, depending upon your interpretation. And suddenly they are consumed by seven heads of, of blighted grain. And he wakes up. And he calls in all of his people, his wise men, and says, somebody help me out with this one. And they don't know. But remember, the cupbearer is by his side. How strategic is the hand of God? And the cupbearer speaks to him and says, oh, my goodness, I remember my sin. That was a fascinating statement. I remember my sin. I forgot a dude. There's a guy back in the prison. He's the one that got me where I am today because he, rem- he was able to speak to me. He's the one. He can interpret your dream. And so they call for Joseph. He cleans himself up. He walks in. Now think about this. Think about this. You got to see this picture. Joseph at 17 was like, take a good look. Look at my coat. You're going to bow down to me. I got front cuts to leadership. I have absolutely no experience, no credibility, but dad gave me a really cool job and a nice outfit, right? So now here he is 20 years later, I don't know, and he walks in. He's been in prison for however many years. He's been scuffed up a little bit, but he's, there's a humility about him. You know, the definition of humility to me is knowing your place and doing your best in that place. And Joseph had just, whether he, he wasn't depressed, he was just responsible, and he steps in there, and the Pharaoh says, hey, I understand you can interpret my dream. He says, no, 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 please understand this. Um, I don't interpret dreams, but God can interpret those dreams. And so he tells him then, and he says, well, here's what's, here's what's going to play out. And, and in that moment, Joseph begins to explain, there's going to be seven years of incredible bounty prosperity like we've never had before. 
but they're going to be followed by seven years of famine that will erase the memory of, of the excess that we had. And the fact that God gave you two different dreams for the same message tells you that he's going to do it. He is telling you, God, and he says this twice, God is telling you in advance of what's going to happen. So you need to be prepared. And here's what you need to do. Get somebody who can run this thing. Get somebody who can hold back one-fifth of the grain over the, the period of years where you've got excess. Because when the famine starts, you'll be able to manage it. And assign people to do these things. And he's just telling this. This is a guy who's, you know, you know, uh, you know, prisoner one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know. And when he finishes telling him this, he's like, and I just, you know, I've got a crazy imagination because I've watched a lot of cartoons. And I, I think about Joseph in that moment that he, he just, he's like, well, that's about it. And he turns to look for the person who's going to escort him back to the prison. And in that moment, maybe he hears, maybe he doesn't. But the Pharaoh turns to his people and he says, could there be anyone else who would have more wisdom than this young man right here? Can you imagine? In that moment, Joseph has spent his entire youth incarcerated. He's had zero power, zero voice, but for whatever he's been assigned to do, he's just done it. And God's favor has been upon him. And in that moment, Joseph moves from prisoner one, two, three, four, five, six to becoming the second most powerful person in the nation of Egypt. The greatest place in the civilized world at that moment. And the Pharaoh puts him in charge of the nation. The only person above him is the Pharaoh. Of course, he gets quite a package deal. He gets a wife, and they have kids. And for those next seven years, things are going great. They have children. He names his children, you know, Ephraim and Manasseh, and their names are, have a meaning for what's transpired. God has allowed me to forget what's happened before me. He moves on about his life in this position of leadership. And it's really amazing because I think about, what was he thinking about in those seven years fulfilling this role? Did he ever think about, you know, hey, I'm going to take a vacation, take my wife and kids back home and let them meet their grandparents? Let them meet their uncles? Well, that must have been something, right? But he doesn't have to because this is where what happens it plays out. You see, it's not long before the famine starts and that's when the real work happens. And the famine just doesn't hit the land of Egypt, but it spreads out into the land of Canaan. And eventually, it's not long before, and Joseph was responsible for the delivery and the, the separation of all his supplies. And as he's doing this, one day he looks up and he sees these 10 shepherds. And they're bowing down before him. And that's the moment when Joseph remembered his dream. This is what it was all about. See, here's the deal. That God plants vision in our lives in the forms of dreams. 
I spent a lot of time talking to students about, where are you going? What do you want to do? I never asked them what I was telling them. I'm like, listen, you know, tell me what you want to do. And they said, well, my major is. And I'm like, look, I don't care what your major is. I mean, I, I don't want your feelings to get hurt when I say that. And if they do, I hope you, again, get over it. But I am a believer in this. I want to know what you want to do. And when I ask that question, the answer is so totally different. Because for each person on this planet, every single person was born on purpose for a purpose. There aren't any accidental people. <laughs> there are some accidental parents. You know, that happens. <laughs> but, but God has each person on this planet to do something magnificent. But it won't be easy. Every single one of us have challenges that we face. We're like, oh, man, I wish I didn't have to deal with that. And there's some responsibilities that I've been handed that I did not want. Yet, God keeps circling back. And so, when I look at this story and I see, you know, what I see with Joseph in this is, is so phenomenal is this, that God fulfills his mission. It may have started out as a dream that was Joseph's, but then God had to sculpt Joseph in the person who was able to carry it. You know what's the best part about the fulfillment of this dream? It's not so much that, you know, Joseph's standing there and his brothers are bowing down to him. And he's like, see, I told y'all. The best part of it is at the very end of the book of Genesis. And his brothers, now that their dad's dead, they're like, oh, no. Now he's really going really to enslave us. And they were terrified of their brother. And they all prostrate themselves before him, saying, we are your slaves. And he just, he falls apart. He's like, how could you think that? He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You know, the best part about that dream is that Joseph modeled forgiveness that was absolutely supernatural. And that's what God calls each of us to live in. Because he modeled it for us. Now, I have a few things that I just want to share with you that are really just some takeaways with this story that you can truly apply to your lives. And, you know, the first thing is that regardless of your circumstances, God is with you. There may be times where you have to pace the floor and say, you know what, God, I believe you're with me. I may not feel it right now, but I believe you're with me. And you may have to repeat that. It may sound crazy when you're repeating it, but after a while, you, you will, it will be embedded in you because it's truth. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And there are passages that you need to implant in your soul and keep memory of that because when you do that, then in those moments of great challenge, you will believe it. The next thing is this. Understand what you're responsible to do and do great work. Do great work. But do your great work, not somebody else's. You know, there, there are things that we work around other individuals and I work with some really smart people. And I, I am amazed at what they are able to conceptualize and articulate. And I, and I watch that and I'm like, golly, I wish I could do that. Then I realize, well, they can't do it like I can. You know, I'm, I'm the one that I can only do me. So whatever you can determine in your time of personal devotion, God, what is my best work? Help me to do that. Now, your best work does not mean that you're working 90-hour weeks. You've got to live a life 
to where your best work is at work and your best work is at home. Who needs your A game every day? And that's worship. And, and the third thing is that, that in your moments of being faithful to what you're assigned to do, God will infuse your faith in that moment. There'll be, there'll be times where your faith in him will come through because you're faithful to what you're responsible to do. And then uh, one of my favorite things to think about is this. <laughs> okay. I'm, uh, I write a lot, um, and spelling can be a challenge at times. That's why I'm super excited about, like, automatic spell check. Uh, I spell things correctly when I send texts, okay, um, and try to use the King's English but I'm a believer in this, that you live for the ellipsis, not the period. As long as we're on this planet, your life will go on. And, and I am a believer in this, that, that whatever it is that we're doing on this side is preparation for whatever responsibility God has for us on the other side. Because every parable that talks about the kingdom of God is about something that's going to happen on the other side. You know, I, uh, so I truly anticipate that. So it's important for us to, whatever it is that you're going on, it's going on in your life, there's not a period at the end of the sentence. We never reach the end of the internet in our lives. We just keep moving and growing and learning because what God will do is expand your capacity as you're faithful to what you're responsible to do. And then finally, this is what's really important to capture. You know, what's going to happen is that your, as your maturity grows... What's happening is that God is placing you in a position to be a caretaker of whatever opportunity is before you. And it's your unique experience. It's your unique opportunity. It's not anybody else's. That, that it could be, and, and I, I tell people this a lot when I'm talking to students, there's somebody that God has appointed for you to connect with. There's somebody that you're supposed to bless. I don't know who it is. There's at least one person on the planet. And and, it, and I would dare say there's a whole bunch of them. But nevertheless, if we think about, well, there's probably somebody today that I'm supposed to encourage. And if we live our lives like that, then what God is, God has equipped you uniquely to do something magnificent. And the important thing is to stay in line with him and not worry about the magnificent. He'll determine that. So I just share with you today, as we look at the life of this um, great person who was mortal on this planet but his, his faith and his connection with God is what puts him in the pages of the Bible and we keep reading his story and realize I can be that guy now let me just say this some of you may be kicking the tires about faith about following Christ I don't, I don't know I'm not like Professor X okay, who can read everybody's thoughts which I'm really thankful because I've got enough voices in my head anyway. <laughs> but wherever you are, you know, Christ is saying to you, come on, follow me. Just follow me. And, and I'll, I'll take you places you could never dream. I don't, I don't know what your journey is. I, I really don't. And, but you do. And it, he, he can take wherever you are, whether you're you're growing in your faith and you're like, man, I have been following him for months or weeks or years. Or it might be that, you know, I, I want to give this a try. My encouragement to you today, regardless of where you are, that you just 
in your place right now to just make a fresh statement to him and say, you know what? I'm watching this, this hero of the faith, Joseph, and you were with him, so I'm going to believe that you're going to be with me. And you know what? He accepts us regardless of where we are. I'm so thankful that I didn't have to clean up. And every day I go before him and I'm like, okay, yesterday I said this and it was out of line, but I'm giving it to you. Yesterday I swerved into oncoming greatness. Thank you. That was great. Guide me today. Guide me today by your wisdom. So if you will, just bow your heads where you are and, and, and we're going to call on the Lord. Father, thanks for these people who have, out of, out of their dedication to you, or maybe their curiosity of who you are, have come here to find out just a little bit more. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that for every person in this room and those who may be captivated by what's going on online, um, that, that there would be a, a fresh connection with you, a conversation that begins with, I want to answer your call to follow you. And I pray for those who answer that and say, I'm going to follow you. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, that you will infuse in them a courage to continue to walk in that way, that the desires of things that lead us away from you would, would dissipate and that you would fill us with the desires of your heart so that we walk in alignment. May we all look at life as this grand adventure that you're taking us on, that regardless of obstacles, circumstances, or challenges, that you are always with us and that your favor is upon us. We ask these things and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.